1: Clint, we love getting feedback from listeners, telling us about what we got right, and maybe more often, (laughs) telling us what we got wrong. Our last episode was about the best use of a song in a movie, and it's one of my favorite episodes that we've done. I loved it. But we know we only scratched the surface, and since we had a couple of weeks on hiatus mulling it over, we decided we needed to jump back into this pool for one more swim. So let's do it. Welcome to the age-old question. I'm Rich Price. And I'm Clint Bierman. This show is sort of like car talk meets behind the music. Ooh, Clint, I like that.
2: Each episode deals with another question in music fandom. The
1: kind of questions that Clint and I have been debating since we were in college. So today, with the help of some smart people,
2: we're gonna come up with the answer.
1: Okay, Clint, what's today's question?
2: Today's question is, what's the best use of a song in a movie? Part
1: two. That's the age-old question. All right, Clint. So many things to talk about.
2: So many. We got so many responses. And thank you guys so much for reaching out. I think the first thing I want to do yes. is let's make a distinction between songs written for a movie okay. and songs that were taken completely out of context and put in a movie got it so i have a bunch of both today okay good and we got a bunch from other people so for example we talked about power of love yes that song was specifically written by huey lewis for the movie sat in front of it watched the whole movie went away wrote the song came back to it incredible but stuck in the middle by Steeler's wheel A song completely taken out of context and put in that movie. Reservoir Dogs. In Reservoir Dogs. Right, correct. The other distinction, we got a lot of feedback about the Blues Brothers or Spinal Tap. Or the Commitments. Or the Commitments, right. These are movies where the people in the movie are actually singing the song. Right. And that's a different type of song in a movie.
1: It's not quite a musical
2: Correct. It's not quite a musical, but it's kind of a musical. Right. In the case of Blues Brothers, you're taking old, super popular soul tunes. In the case of The Commitments, you're taking... Same. Same. Yeah, it's the same. In the case of Spinal Tap, they wrote all those songs for the movie, right? I mean, the band was formed to be the movie, and then the songs were written for the movie,
1: even though they stand alone. Spinal Tap's an example of they created this fake band for the movie, but the movie was so compelling and the idea of the band was so compelling right. that they actually started playing shows. Right.
2: Sex farm woman, I mean that's a that's a single. How are you going to deny that? Oh my god. So much about that movie. Do you want to jump in first or do you want me to jump in first?
1: Let's remind our listeners that what we we're talking about is songs that are now inextricably linked to the scenes in which they were used. So as you say, sometimes it was written for that scene. Other times it was a filmmaker or a music supervisor bringing an existing song in to help tell the story. Another one that for me is inextricably linked to its music is Dirty Dancing. Oh my God. From 1987. Nobody puts baby in a corner. Nobody puts baby in a corner. (laughs) Nobody. I bought this album. I was 11. Okay. The film stars Jennifer Grey, pre-nose job Mm -hmm. as Baby whose family goes to an upscale Catskills resort in the summer of 1963 Patrick Swayze stars as Johnny Castle the resort's dance instructor when Baby falls in love with Johnny Baby's dad says hell no Johnny says
2: nobody puts Baby in a corner nobody puts Baby in a corner
1: they learn a bunch of cool dances and then for the end of the season talent show blow everyone away with an incredible dance that ends with an amazing lift. Just like the Big Chill, which, which we talked about last week, an incredible soundtrack, including Love is Strange by Mickey and Sylvia.
0: Sylvia.
1: Yes, Mickey.
0: How you call your lover boy?
1: Come here, lover boy.
0: And if he doesn't answer?
1: Oh, lover boy.
2: And
0: if he still doesn't answer? I simply say.
1: Day by Maurice Williams and the Zodiacs.
0: Hey. Uh,
1: In the still of the night by the Five Satins. Oh, I love song performed by the film star Patrick Swayze She's Like the Wind right who which, knew which itself reached number three on the Billboard charts wow. Just
2: a fool to believe I she needs.
1: and by the way has a sax solo like classic 80s <laughs> of course it does but the song that is inextricably linked with this film is had the time of my life by bill medley and jennifer the,
0: time of my life. No, never like this
1: the song won an oscar for best original song song written for the film for the film wow i didn't realize
2: that dirty dancing dirty dancing i uh, i've played that song And I'm not sure any song gets a better reaction. You can't believe how many people do the lift. It's so melded in people's heads. You can't not. You lift lift the guy next to you. You're just like, it doesn't even matter who it is. Certainly somebody gets hurt at some point. All right, what do you got? I'm going to talk about a song that I became slightly obsessed with. And it really opened my eyes to a new genre and a new concept of how you could write songs hmm. the movie is frozen and the song i'm going to talk about is let it go mm. and let it go was a crossover monster made a billion dollars right it was like the largest animated film of all time and the song let it go and i believe most of the songs in it
0: do you, you want to build, build a snowman, snowman?
2: all those yeah. songs yeah were written by a songwriting team, it's a husband and wife team, Kristen Anderson Lopez and Robert Lopez. The song Let It Go, sung by Idina Menzel, who was also in Glee and she's got an amazing voice. The song reached the top five on the Billboard Hot 100 chart and won both the Academy Award for Best Original Song in 2014 and the Grammy Award for Best Song Written for Visual Media in 2015. Let it go. The kicker for me is when I saw a video of Pearl Jam playing Daughter, one of my favorite songs, right? And on their world tour back then, they would go in to let it go out of Daughter. So check this out.
1: Incredible. Incredible,
2: Eddie Vedder must have had kids. I don't know how right. it happened, but
1: just like the rest of us, just
2: like the rest of us, it, it it infiltrated all of our lives. And it's one of those things that you don't. You're like, I don't want to like this song, but it's so well written, and the chorus is a one five six four chord progression we talked about in the songwriting thing. It's the classic songwriting progression for pop music, and it really turned me on to the idea of writing songs. For a kid's thing, right? And so, I'm over the past two months, I've started writing a bunch of these songs that my my kids are now singing, and like I'm hiring, and then I got to pay them fifty bucks a piece, <laughs> and they come into the studio and they sing these songs.
1: Their rates keep going up. They do. You've brought up, I think, a really important point that our last round of of movies that we picked in the last episode revealed a generational bias. A lot of the films we discussed were films that came out in the 80s or maybe the 90s great films but also films that really spoke to us in our generation totally you bring up sort of the new generation of songs right I think the new Disney films are doing that really well I want to also talk about a couple other animated films great do your kids like the film sing oh yeah I'm still standing oh my that's the one that's the one all the ones yeah so, written by Elton John, of course, and his lyricist, Bernie Taupin. First released on Elton John's 1983 album, Too Low for Zero. I had this album on cassette. <laughs> the album also features, I guess that's why they call it the blues. Oh, yeah. Favorite, great, great, Favorite. In the biopic Rocketman from 2019, Taron Egerton plays Elton. And he actually sings a bunch of the songs. And sings them brilliantly. But the film we're talking about... Is the 2016 animated film Sing. Taryn Egerton again sings the Elton song. And it's great and it's a such a powerful moment in the film.
0: You can never
1: know what it's like. He's the gorilla. The gorilla, right. And he plays the piano. Yeah. yeah, yeah all right here's one more animated film despicable me too happy oh my god You remember how massive biggest hit ever like, ever ever written and performed and produced by pharrell It was number one in 25 countries it was the most successful song of 2014 with 13.9 million units worldwide
0: so
1: i take it the date went well no it was horrible got <laughs>
2: That song, yeah. I heard a story about, he talked about this. Okay. So he got tasked with writing the song, right? Because all these movies need the song. It was trolls. It was... It,
1: it can't stop the feeling. Can't
2: stop the feeling. This one, happy. Pharrell got the gig. So Pharrell writes song after song, song after song. Just, I think this was the 10th song he wrote for the movie. Kept sending him in. Nah, that's not the one. that, nah, that's not the one. Then sent this one in. That's the one. Remember the video for this song with all the people dancing? Yes. That song was so, so massive. Massive. Maybe that, that might be the biggest selling song of any of these songs from movies. I don't know. Are we done? Are we, did we? I think we did. <laughs> all
1: right. What else do you got?
2: Okay. I'm going to go back to a movie again from the 80s because that's what we do. The yep. thing is we grew up in the 80s. Yes. Like All these movies are what we... No, see it, as the greatest. And just to be clear,
1: we just had a parenthetical <laughs> moment outside of our generation. Now we're going no, back to towards- our
2: straight up. So I'm gonna talk about the movie Cocktail. Ooh, Tom Cruise. Uh, Tom Cruise is he's a bartender in New York and he gets out and he goes down to the islands, right? Yeah. The song that I'm choosing is Kokomo oh, by the Beach Boys. Yeah. Remember that song? Of course. There's nothing that defines sitting on the beach drinking a cocktail more than that song. To me, you see Tom Cruise leave the New York City street bar and he's standing in the street, he's yelling at a cab. Cut to like palm trees. This song starts playing. It's like this whole like drone shot of the islands and all these people in hawaiian shirts sitting on lounge chairs and and then it zooms in on him as he's throwing drinks around like he used to do in that movie and this song is so melded with that scene in my head yes this soundtrack also had some major pull in my house growing up i listened a lot to this don't worry be happy <laughs> yep big one well bye.
0: It has been an adventure. <laughs> I want to take care of you. want to sing it. for don't
2: Hippie Hippie Shake by Georgia Satellites. Tootie Fruity by Little Richard. Tootie Fruity. Come on. I mean, these are all like... (laughs) So here's the story about the Kokomo song. Terry Melcher wrote the song with the help of John Phillips, who... Mamas and the Papa's, Along with Mike Love, Scott McKenzie. And Mike Love is the one who came up with the Aruba, Jamaica. Ooh, I want to take
1: you to Bermuda, Bahama.
2: Come on, pretty mama. I mean, that. <laughs> Largo, Montego, baby, why don't we
1: go down to Coco?
2: Oh, it's so good, right? So good. It's They crushed the feel of that song so hard. So good. It's so perfect. We'll big, fast, we'll it the Beach Boys hadn't been doing much, right? They, right? they had been out of the public
1: eye for quite a bit of time. They were point. like a legacy band. They Yeah. No Doing longer like state fairs. Yeah. And like, as you yeah. say, it brought them back from being like the state fair and yeah. to actually being a pop chart band. Again. Again. Yeah. The story that I know about this song, as you say, Brian Wilson wasn't a part of it. And of course, Brian Wilson was the genius of the Beach Boys who suffered from mental illness. And so, really, in the 60s, stopped touring with them. And then through the 70s and, and the 80s, was homebound and right. really on an extended hiatus from the band yeah. and Mike Love who back in the original era of the Beach Boys sang like California Girls and Good Vibrations like he was like the, the good time yeah. surfer voice yep.
0: I'm up good vibrations she's giving me the excitations I'm
1: They wanted Brian Wilson to be in on this track, but Brian Wilson's psychiatrist, Eugene Landy, who had also become sort of his, like, Manipulator. Manipulator. He worked his way somehow from being his psychiatrist to being his manager. He told Mike Love that Brian Wilson would sing on the track only if Eugene Landy produced the track. And Mike Love and Terry Melcher and everyone else said, No way. We're fine. We're good. By the way, Clint, there's a sax solo. Classic 80s. Haters gonna hate, but it's a great song. Yes. (laughs) Okay, Clint. I have one that multiple people emailed, commented, texted... They couldn't believe, couldn't believe couldn't believe we missed it on the last Uh-oh. episode. What is it? We did mention a Patrick Swayze film on the last episode, but we didn't mention this one. I
2: had it on my list too, and the love scenes, the right? Love scene
1: right from Ghost. Oh, Get Off My Train. So Ghost was a 1990 romantic fantasy thriller starring Swayze alongside Demi Moore, Whoopi Goldberg, and Tony Goldwyn. Who would later go on to be in one of my wife's favorite shows, Scandal? Okay. Swayze plays Sam Wheat, a murdered banker whose ghost sets out to save his girlfriend, played by Demi Moore, from the person who killed him. All with the help of a psychic, Odame Brown, played by Whoopi. <laughs> it's a great setup. It was a giant hit. The budget for the film was twenty-two million. It made five hundred and five million dollars at the box office. Whoa. Whoopi Goldberg won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. The score was written by Maurice Jerry and was nominated for an Oscar for Best Original Score, ended up losing to John Barry's score for *Dances with Wolves, produced by Jake Eberts, whose son we talked to on the last episode. Anyway, the song we're talking about is Unchained Melody by the Righteous Brothers. And I never really understood why it's called Unchained Melody. It's called that because it was written in 1955 for a film called Unchained. And it was the melody. And Bobby Hatfield of the Righteous Brothers sang lyrics to it, thus Unchained Melody. Whoa.
0: Goes by so slowly And time
2: can do so much
1: The Rice's Brothers version came out in 1965, and that's the version that appears in the film. And remember, it's just like the hands around the clay. It's the clay, sensual... Yeah, looking for this the scene. I found a couple really funny videos. This scene where the song's gone and they've just added it's. It's just they've added just the sound (laughs) of clay of of like hands on clay, (laughs) and it's incredibly like weird without the song. It's It's so so awkward. It's like that
2: Mick Jagger and David Bowie one where they take the video, they take the song out. You know what I'm saying? That's the street. That's so
0: good. All right, what else you got?
2: Well, one of my wife's favorite movies is Once. Mm. And this is a um, 2007 Irish romantic musical drama film written and directed by John Carney. And the film stars Glenn Hansard and Marqueta Inglova as two struggling musicians in Dublin. Some of the songs were written for the film, some of them they had before that. in 2008, they won the Academy Award for Best Original Song, and the soundtrack received a Grammy Award nomination. Now, that song that they received the Grammy for was Falling Slowly.
0: I don't know you, but I want you all the more for that more.
2: It's one of those songs that any time a man and a woman are sitting around a fire playing an acoustic guitar, they play this song. It's like a perfect, it's in a great key for everybody to sing. It's a great duet. The male part goes higher than the female part in the chorus, which is rare. It's pretty cool. That's the coolest feature.
1: Great song, and it's a song that I've heard you and your wife Lauren play. Yeah, and you, you guys do it so well. And you're right; it's such a beautiful duet. And I think this film was a big influence on Greg, <laughs> as he wrote the Independence, the film that we talked about last time. Partly because it's a film that requires real musicians, mm-hmm. because a lot of the songs are played live mm-hmm. um, rather than like, like you guys do. like lip synced. And yeah, and we we were sort of inspired or emboldened to do that because we'd seen it work well in once yeah and it's 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 a beautiful
2: endearing movie yeah nothing really happens like right. the, the plot is very minimal it's just two people doing what they do but it's there it's endearing it's a beautiful film oh Here's, what, here's an example of a movie that was written to build the career up of the main actor. Ah. There's a long history for this. So, the movie I'm going to talk about is Purple Rain. Purple Rain is about Prince, won an Oscar for Best Original Song Score. The song I want to talk about, obviously, is the song Purple Rain, which is my go to anthem in any band I ever play. This is my favorite song, it was the last song played at my wedding. to in the dark in college which sounds weird but it's not that weird <laughs> here are some completely interesting facts that I have no idea about so Purple Rain was originally written as a country song and intended to be a collaboration with Stevie Nicks so according to Nicks she received a 10 minute instrumental version of the song from Prince with a request to write the lyrics but she felt so overwhelmed she said I listened to it and I just got scared I called him back and I said I can't do it I wish I could it's too much for me. Prince is like, "Okay. Fine."
0: Never meant to cause you in a sorrow. Never meant to cause you pain. No one wanna see you like pain. No to see you in the rain. The rain.
1: So at this point, it's just a piano demo, right? It's just a song on piano.
2: Next rehearsal, they all sat down, started playing it. And this is the revolution, so it's Wendy, Lisa, everybody else. So Wendy was the guitar player. She started playing the guitar chords to accompany the song. And she remembers that he got super excited to hear it voiced in a different way, like not the way that he had originally conceived it. And then they just started playing it a bit harder, taking it more seriously and they just played it for hours and hours. And by the end of the day, most of the song was written and arranged. Okay, here's another interesting fact. My first dance at my wedding was Faithfully by Journey. Okay? So after Prince wrote this song, he called up Jonathan Kane from Journey, asked him to listen to his song Purple Rain because he was worried that it might sound too similar to Faithfully. So Kane listened to Purple Rain, reassured Prince by telling him that the songs only shared the same four chords. Go ahead with it. But I just realized in this very moment, my first dance was and "Faithfully," you're, and, and you're my last too. dance was "Purple Rain." That's, That's incredible. it's ridiculous. So "Purple Rain" was ranked number one hundred forty-four on the Rolling Stone list of the five hundred greatest songs of all time. I think it should have been top five, but
1: I want to go back to this idea of "Faithfully" <laughs> and "Purple Rain." I just I've never what thought of the, it. What is the chord progression?
2: It's an A add nine. It's so it's a one six five four. Who knew? It's exact. It's the same. I mean, it really is the same. Same chord progression. Totally different song. That's so fascinating. Run
1: into the go round and round. Incredible. Clint, I have another nominee. This one's gonna go a little sideways. <laughs> Do you remember the nineteen eighty seven? Arnold Schwarzenegger film Predator? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Little Richard's track Long Tall Sally (laughs) plays when Arnold and his elite paramilitary rescue team fly into the jungle thinking that they're saving hostages from some drug smuggling guerrilla troops. Remember? It's (laughs) Long Tall Sally. (laughs) It's so (laughs) So (laughs) Only they're actually... The second team sent in. The first team, Green Berets from Fort Bragg, mysteriously disappeared. Turns out an alien is in the jungle hunting humans for sport. And Arnold does his thing. One note on the film's director, John McTiernan. He directed this film in 1987. Then, in 1988, he directed Die Hard. Boom. His next film after that was The Hunt for Red October. Oh
2: my lord.
1: Three massive, big films back to back to back. The film also gave us this classic Arnold Schwarzenegger line.
2: Get to the chopper.
1: Get to the chopper.
0: Get to the chopper. Oh, that's
2: hilarious.
1: And while we're down this tangent, I love Dana Carvey's bit that he calls Predator Island. Which imagines a fight to the death game show in which celebrities that have done bad things go to this island and Arnold hunts them down <laughs> like the Predator. <laughs> Let's listen.
0: Yeah, I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger. Welcome to Predator Island.
1: We got Harvey Weinstein and Charlie Rose on the mountains. We're gonna hunt him in the night. But right now, look, coming to the jungle is Woody Allen. Woody, what are you doing here? <laughs> Run,
0: Woody. <laughs> run away. Wait, wait, he's telling Woody to run away? <laughs> yes, because I'm programmed to kill, but I like you. I like Hannah and the sisters movie, so run in the jungle.
1: Your scrawny little body has an advantage. Scamper up the hill, through the brambles, and into the high crest rocks. I hunt you in the night. <laughs> <It's> oh. Incredible. <laughs> okay. That's so. I'm I'm nominating Long Tall Sally from The Predator. Oh man, Clint. How about we call our old buddy Jeff Simons? Oh he, he, I can't wait. He's gonna I mean, have. It's been a warranty. while since we've talked to him. Yeah, call him. Hey, this is this Jeff? Jeff, you've got Rich and Clint on the line. Hey, buddy.
0: Oh hey, gentlemen.
1: It's been way too long since we've had you on the age-old question.
0: It's it's as you know, it is my it is the regular thrill of my life to be invited back.
1: So. Today, Jeff, we're talking about the best use of a song in a movie. Do you have any nominees right off the bat? Yes.
0: I have one right off the top of my head. It is my all-time favorite moment of music in a movie, and it's partly because I absolutely love this movie, and I absolutely love this song. Um, And I love that the director was such a geek as to use the best version of the song that exists. It is in Rushmore, and it is when Bill Murray... And Jason Schwartzman are punking each other to the "Who's a Quick One While He's Away" the live version from the Rock and Roll Circus in 1968. It is my it's the one song where they didn't have enough um, money to hire a string section, so they just sang cellos by going cello, cello, cello <laughs> in the middle, and it is just a fantastic back and forth, like. Murray smashes something, Schwartzman, like, tags his car. They're just going back and forth and back and forth, and the, the Who is getting louder and louder and louder in the background. That's my nomination, my favorite moment. I almost, like, stood up and, and like gestured in the theater like, does anybody have any idea what an intersection of my particular interest in this moment is?
1: So, <laughs> Nailed it. That's, yeah, inc- that's it incredible. Mad. So what makes that version the best definitive version in your so mind? So the
0: studio version is from the year before. And uh, The Who were really still figuring out how to be a band in 1966. And, and, the, and their studio records are pretty, especially the second record, sounds pretty crappy because their producer, Kit Lambert, didn't really know what he was doing as an engineer but the live version was recorded for a Rolling Stones television show that never aired because the who kicked the stones ass so hard in the taping that the stones just shelved the movie. Huh. So the who Whoa. just put, they put it out on the kids are all right, which was like a live compilation record. And it is just a banging, unbelievable. Cause it's a dumb song. Like it's, it's like eight minutes long and it's, and it's got six little themes But they just lean into the, the goofiness of it And Moon is just completely out of control Like mugging for the camera And playing his ass off And it's just great And it fits that moment in the movie really, really well, I
1: think Well, we, we talked about Wes Anderson in part one of this We didn't talk about Rushmore No But Wes Anderson does this just about as well as any filmmaker
2: And doesn't he do it with odd versions of songs, too? right like he he frequently yeah. didn't take the studio version he took the better version which means he's really <laughs> into music yeah
0: yeah and i mean like that moment in uh that moment in Royal tenenbaums when elliot smith's in the background is like just, I mean, a needle in the hay like that is just so unbelievably terrifying right and, there's there's another one yeah time by the creation is in Rushmore too, which might have been the first time i'd ever heard that song but i mean like yeah anderson's uh He's got to be in the the short list of people who who use music really, really well. So,
1: well, Jeff, thank you so much. It's good to get you back on the age old question. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. You know, we talk a lot about 1980s films. John Hughes was a director who made some iconic and just era defining films from the 1980s. Sixteen Candles.
2: Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Another one of his
1: films was Breakfast Club. I cannot hear Don't You Forget About Me by Simple Minds without thinking about this movie. Can you? No. In fact, the song was written by Keith Forsey and Steve Schiff, who composed the film Score. They were fans of Simple Minds and wrote the song with a band in mind. Their demo plays over the opening of the film... And Simple Minds' version plays over the closing of the film. The film was a big one for me. 1985 creates these archetypes, maybe even defines these archetypes of the high school student, the jock played by Emilio Estevez, the nerd played by Anthony Michael Hall. The Slacker, played by Judd Nelson. The Snobbish and Popular Beauty, played by Molly Ringwald. And The Odd Outcast, played by Ali Sheehy. It's like a sociology film about high school cliques. <laughs> so much. And The Vice Principal, played by <laughs> Paul Gleason. Any questions? Yeah. I got a question. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? Give you the answer to that question, Mr. Bender, next Saturday. Don't mess with a bull, young man. You'll get the horns. Who is also in Trading Places and Die Hard. Yes. Great,
2: great character actor. Like He's so good, actor. yeah.
1: Okay, quick fire round of the films that we heard from so many people. Yeah.
2: Start us off. The Blues Brothers. And yes, definitely. The thing about the Blues Brothers is that it was all cover versions with the band members in the band.
1: It started as an almost spontaneous sketch on SNL in 1976 with John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd. And then it became an actual band, as you say, with the actual musicians yeah. who were like part of the bands that played those original songs. Yeah. It was Booker T and the MGs almost. Yep. The film was made in 1980, directed by John Landis, and it's a classic. And it features and pays homage to the greats, Aretha, James Brown, Cab Calloway. Ray Charles, John Lee Hooker, and a bunch of others. For me, the song that stands out in this film, Clint, is Think, the mm-hmm. scene with Aretha Franklin. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, we've talked about her version of Respect, which of course was an Otis Redding song, and her version of Respect is definitive, but she didn't write that song. Mm-hmm. Think is thematically very similar But she wrote it. And did she write it after Respect was a hit? Yes.
0: Yes. As a
2: response, like, to be like, I got this. I got this. Yeah. Uh, That soundtrack is just ridiculous. Like, if you go down the line of songs, it's just the most classic of all tunes, just like one after the other.
1: What about Saturday Night Fever? Oh, my Lord. I mean, we don't really talk about the Bee Gees much anymore. You don't. <laughs> I mean, I just... Sorry. <laughs> But at a certain point, they were the biggest thing on the planet. Well,
2: disco took such a giant fall. It, right. It was the rise and fall of disco.
1: Right, and that's and they never really recovered. Right, at least in this country. Well, yeah,
2: and they they did other things that we don't even know about, like film scores and like
1: they 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 kept working in music. So Saturday Night Fever. John Travolta strutting down the streets of Brooklyn to this song, Staying Alive." Oh my, that's so iconic. Okay, this soundtrack, Saturday Night Fever, is the second best-selling soundtrack of all time. It sold 40 million copies. The most successful soundtrack of all time The Bodyguard. Sold 45 million copies. But Saturday Night Fever stayed on the top of the Billboard charts from January 78 until July. Almost seven months at the top of the charts. The filmmakers called the Bee Gees and they said, Do you have any songs that you can provide to this film? And they said, No, we're too busy. But over the course of a weekend... They sat down and they wrote a bunch of songs, including a song that they called Saturday Night. But because there had been a recent track by the Bay City Rollers called Saturday Night, they decided to change it to "Staying Alive. Wow.
2: Saturday Night, Saturday Night. Ah, ah, ah. Oh, that would have been good too. Totally. Oh, wow.
1: The album won Grammy for Album of the Year, and in 2021, Rolling Stone ranked it 132 on its list of 500 greatest albums. Wow. That is an iconic scene. Um, The Graduate really almost started the modern use of popular music in a film. And Mrs. Robinson written. Written before,
2: but adapted to the movie with the name change, right?
1: Originally, he wrote it as Mrs. Roosevelt. Right. And Mike Nichols, the film director, said, come on, you got any songs? Said, well, I got this song called Mrs. Roosevelt. And of course, Anne Bancroft's character was Mrs. Robinson. And he's like, could you change it <laughs> to Mrs. <laughs> Robinson? Huh? Uh-huh. I mean, you, Mrs. Robinson. Jesus loves you
0: more than you.
1: We have to talk about Titanic. Oh my god, of course. Celine. Celine Dion. Celine
2: Dion. That was a massive song. That was a pop. Did it go number one?
1: Yes. Yes. My heart will go, go on. on. Right.
2: Is there a more iconic image no. than them standing at the front of the boat with their arms out and him behind her? I mean, that... Iconic. I'm, how can that not be number one for this entire thing? That's like, it's not my favorite song, but that is married to the movie more than anything. Man, that's incredible. How'd we miss that one? All right, so Rich, what do you have? Can you pick one for part two of this episode? Can you pick
1: the greatest use of a song in a movie? Okay. My pick for part two for the best use of a song in a movie is from the 2002 film Eight Mile. Oh, yeah. Directed by Curtis Hansen. It's an autobiographical film starring Eminem, Marshall Mathers. It's an incredible film. It's grim. It's stark. It's uplifting. It follows a white rapper, B-Rabbit, played by and based on Eminem, and his attempts to start a hip-hop career. The song, Lose Yourself, is just incredible. The song is a summary of the film's plot, and he wrote it on set during breaks in filming. The song reached number one and stayed there for 12 consecutive weeks. It won the Academy Award, it won a Grammy,
0: His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. There's
1: vomit on his sweater already. Mom's spaghetti, he's nervous. But on the surface, he looks calm and ready to drop palms. But he keeps on forgetting what he wrote down. The whole crowd goes so loud. He opens his mouth, but the words won't come out. He's choking how? everybody's choking Clint, the you've played this song. Mm-hmm. I've seen you play this song a bunch. Mm-hmm. And every time you play it, I get goosebumps. People lose their minds. It crushes.
2: There's so much emotion in this song. It's so real. First of all, Eminem is the quintessential rapper, in my opinion. I mean, he the way he puts words together is like no one else. And people now sound like Eminem. He has defined that internal rhyme scheme. So, like a normal rhyme scheme would be like a A B A B rhyme scheme, where right? right? But he has multiple rhymes in one within a phrase. Within one phrase, and he's all just the master of it. And he writes every single word. He doesn't ad lib. He doesn't freestyle. He writes and obsesses over every lyric. And it's and it shows. I mean, he's he's the king. Anytime you start playing the song, people raise their one hand and they do that thing from the movie. It's This is, I think you might be right, Rich, this is like so iconic and so married to the film. And it really pushed him into the forefront of American culture. And it's also like the most pump up track ever. That guitar line is so, oh, what's the word? It's... It's just, it makes you like totally. Immediately you start and bobbing those, your head. What heads. are those chords? It's D to other D to weird D. Like a D. It's like a D with a minor six. I don't even know it. I don't know what you'd call it. But that.
1: you're right. That's something that it's the tempo before, before you even hear the the singing and right. the lyrics. The, the the arrangement of that song just.
2: Gets in your skin. Gets in your skin. And it it pumps you up. It makes you like, oh, it's it's like a feel-good anthem. Did we do it? I think you just did it. (laughs) I think part two's
1: done. Thanks for listening, and thanks to everyone who shares their ideas and lets us know when we get it right and when we get it wrong. (laughs) We really look forward to those comments every week. And thanks also for the suggestions for more topics on the age-old question. We'll keep tackling these questions with your help. Thanks, guys. We hope you had fun and we hope you'll join us next time when we answer another age
2: old question.
1: Follow us on Instagram at The Age Old Question. Facebook, The Age Old Question. We hope this conversation has sparked some ideas and thoughts of your own. Let us know in the comments. But let's be kind, people. Yeah. No hating. No hating.